0: morning glory America Bonjour. hi Canada greetings to all of you listening across the globe via Hugh hello to everyone watching on Univision, and greetings to everyone listening on the audio broadcast of this found at Hillsdale Hugh for com. Hugh for com collects all of the Hillsdale dialogues back to 2013 and most of them have been with dr. Larry Arne president of Hillsdale College who uh, joins me this morning good morning dr Arn good morning Hugh I just voiced a uh, Advertisements for your appearances in Sacramento and Fresno that are upcoming. You're making a Western swing.
1: We are. We've yeah. got to be
0: sure to tax you while you're here.
1: Yeah, that's right. Will. <laughs> Do
0: you and know, I, I, I got to say something controversial at the beginning. Gavin Newsom has accomplished more in his first two weeks of governor than Jerry Brown did in eight years by stopping oh, the yeah. high-speed train in one of the two tunnels carrying water.
1: <laughs> I actually read, uh, I, I read in the New York Times a, a wonderful article lamenting the loss of that great dream, and I thought, "Wow, wow, <laughs> five
0: point right. five billion dollars! What could you do, Doctor Arn, for American education with five point five billion dollars? How many Hillsdale charter schools could you start? How big could you expand the campus? What could you do with the Kirby Center with five point five? And and you'd have the the Hewitt dorm built too."
1: Well, I would spend half of it on all my wildest dreams. <laughs> and then half of it stopping for the government from doing all the stuff it's doing.
0: It It is a remarkable thing that we have to talk about so much this week, the Green New Deal. We were going to talk about impeachment. I'm going to postpone that because I want to get to the declaration of national emergency by the president. Let's begin, as I did in the first hour, by talking about Abraham Lincoln and the, uh, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. When exactly did Congress authorize him to do that, Larry Arnn? Well, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> a trick question. There you uh, go. What does that tell us about whatever we're about to talk about?
1: Well, uh, what we're about to talk about is, is uh, what powers does the Congress have in Robert Jackson's concurring opinion in, uh, in Youngstown Steel, where the court stopped Harry Truman, who nationalized the American steel industry as a national emergency, and he lost that case. But the the Congress he said there's three kinds of things. The Congress has given the the president a power. Uh they haven't said anything about it, and they uh and they have forbidden him. And so you look at those three things, right? Well in the case of Youngstown Steel, there hadn't actually been a law forbidding the president to to nationalize the steel industry, but there hadn't been one permitting it either. In the Emancipation Proclamation Lincoln. That's uh, Lincoln was very, very meticulous about the court, uh, Constitution. Detractors, notwithstanding, and so he uh, he limited the Emancipation Proclamation to the states currently at war, in insurrection against the United States.
0: And did he not postpone an effectiveness for six months to give them a chance to cease their war making? That's right. And and that meant that. Uh, You know, troublesome, Maryland
1: and Kentucky, for example, uh, their slaves were not freed because Lincoln said that his power to do this comes from the war powers and, uh, you know, the, the power of the president to be commander in chief and prosecute war. And so he then limited what he did in order to conform to his Constitutional principle that he cited.
0: He also had said about Kentucky, and a good reason not to free the slaves there in the war power-making situation is that he hoped to have God on his side, but he must have Kentucky. That's right. That's right. It was it was critical to the war, so he did not he did not blunder about. But he then went to work to get the Thirteenth Amendment passed. That's right.
1: And that was uh, this. You know, that's that movie. It's a good movie, although it's not as great as Lincoln. If it called Lincoln. Uh, and it's really about that. It's about him log rolling in Congress to get the 13th Amendment through the Congress, which it went past handsomely in the states, and that meant that uh, for, a, for Lincoln, Lincoln had believed all along. The politics of Abraham Lincoln r- arise on this point: what can the federal government do or not do about slavery? And you know, I'm proud to say that many of the founders of Hilldale College were involved in contriving this argument. In the territories, not yet organized as states, the Congress and the president have the power to forbid slavery from going there. But in the states where it exists, they have no power over it. And so, therefore, for, for the federal government to forbid slavery in the states... There needed to be an amendment to the Constitution.
0: Now, what what strikes me? In fact, I want to set set up the rest of our hour by uh, reading a bit of Justice Jackson's opinion in Youngstown Sheet and Tube, the Steel Seizure Cases, in 1952. Jackson, a former Solicitor General, Attorney General, and our Chief Prosecutor at Nuremberg, was a friend of FDR and a friend of the Executive. But he wrote, uh, and I've posted this in 25 consecutive tweets, so that the punditry. Uh, out there is not it, it has no excuse for to be ill informed. It reads thus at the beginning uh, that comprehensive and undefined presidential powers hold both practical advantages and grave dangers for the country. Will impress anyone who has served as a legal advisor to a president in a time of transition and public anxiety. While an interval of detached reflection may temper teachings of that experience, they are probably a more realistic influence on my views than the conventional materials of judicial decision. Which seemed to be unduly accentuate doctrine and legal fiction. But as we approach the question of presidential power, we have overcome mental hazards by recognizing them. The opinions of judges, no less than executives and publicists, often suffer the infirmity of confusing the issue of a power's validity with the cause it is involved with. To promote, of confounding the permanent executive office with its temporary occupant. The tendency is strong to emphasize transient results upon policies such as wages or stabilization and lose sight of the enduring consequences upon the balanced structure of our republic. A judge like an executive advisor may be surprised at the poverty of really useful and unambiguous authority applicable to the concrete problems of executive powers they actually present themselves. Just what our forefathers did envision or would have envisioned had they foreseen modern condition, must be divine from materials almost as enigmatic as the dreams Joseph was called upon to interpret for Pharaoh. And then he goes on to line up the three, and I continue with many more things. He is saying there that a very interesting thing, you read it very closely, Joseph got Pharaoh's dreams right. So (laughs) so he's, he's claiming for himself. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, but two, uh, two guys didn't, though. Yeah, two guys didn't. <laughs> so And they didn't end up well. But he's claiming that it can be done, and so we really have to look at the precedents here and what those those assertions in the Federalist Papers and, and prior presidents have done, down to the issue of whether or not a president can order the military to build barriers on the border. What do you think, Larry Arn?
1: About whether the president can do that. Yes. Um, uh, I think, uh, first of all, I think very much what you think, and that is, that that takes some thinking, yep. and, and so I will uh, – because it's it, – it, first of all, we are governing the country increasingly in ways that don't involve the cooperation of the branches, and the reason for that is very long and very deep, and it amounts to a constitutional breakdown, whether this particular thing does or not, because remember, we make most of our laws – in what's called the executive branch now in the administrative agencies. And if you can get them to do what you want them to do, and you're the president, then you just can do an awful lot now without the Congress. And it's interesting that uh, Donald Trump is, is uh, so, you know, so far, and this is not all elucidated yet, but he, he talks of the, the war-making power, and that is surely the most, you know, the national security. That is surely the most sweeping set of powers that the president has. And uh, I looked it up because i have getting used to the ways of Hugh Hewitt. And, and I, uh, oh by the way, I doubt your pedagogical uh, uh, effectiveness because if in order to make something simple for the media. <laughs> You'd break something down into 25 parts. Well, it's a 25 tweets.
0: They can read 25 tweets and get the unroll me thread thing to do it. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, so um, there are 31 declarations of national emergency in being right now. One of them is from the Carter years, and they mostly concern – foreign governments, national security, seizing assets of foreigners hostile to the United States, countries hostile to the United States. But I noticed that two of them, Barack Obama did quite a few of them, I noticed that two of him, his have the phrase, blocking property and suspending entrance of certain persons to the United States. Uh, one is from Venezuela and one is from Liber- uh, Libya. Libya. So I will say that Barack Obama used this device to forbid people to enter the United States. Meaning? Meaning that uh, if uh, you have to judge it this way, is Trump right that it's it's an emergency? And we can talk about that, but uh, if it is, then I would guess that he can do it.
0: Uh, and that is where I am leaning. I actually think it's a zone one given the 1976 law, the 2006 border secure fence law and the National Defense Authorization Act of last year. But we'll talk about it after the break. Dr. Larry Arnn, all things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America, 22 minutes after the hour. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined by Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale, including your ability to subscribe for free to Imprimus, the speech journal that comes monthly to your post office box or mailbox, completely free of charge, you can find at hillsdale.edu. You can find all of our conversations, beginning with Homer and coming up to the Constitution where we are, all collected at hughforhillsdale.com. Binge listening is advised. Uh, Dr. Arn, Justice Jackson said this, President- presidential powers are not fixed, but fluctuate depending upon their disjunction or conjunction with those of Congress. We may well begin by a somewhat oversimplified grouping of practical situations in which a president may doubt or others may challenge his powers and by distinguishing roughly the legal consequences of this factor of relativity. One, when the president acts pursuant to an express or implied authorization of Congress, his authority is at its maximum, for it includes all that he possesses in his own right plus all that Congress can delegate. In these circumstances and in these only May he be said, for what it may be worth, to personify the federal sovereignty. If his act is held unconstitutional under these circumstances, it usually means that the federal government, as an undivided whole, lacks power. A seizure executed by the president pursuant to an act of Congress would be supported by the strongest of presumptions, and the widest latitude of judicial interpretation and the burden of persuasion would rest heavily on any who might attack it. Now, given what you know of the the laws that have passed—the 1976 law that you referenced earlier, the 2006 Border Fence Act, and the New Defense Authorization Act that gives between 10 and 20 billion dollars of unallocated, non earmarked money to the military to build where building is needed—you think he's in zone one?
1: Yeah, I, I I don't actually see how you can say otherwise about that, and um, and and the. So his first point, right? Jackson's first point was if they've so the National Emergencies Act lets the president do that. And uh and you know, they uh Obama declared one for the swine flu. And uh there was no uh act of congress declaring the swine flu a national emergency and not dead certain there was any kind of an emergency of a national scale about that. So say I, I, here's another way to look at it. Distinguish this from what I think was one of the worst things that Obama did, uh, which was he used what he called prosecutorial discretion not to prosecute uh, people who have come into the country illegally. Correct. And that means that there's an explicit law saying a thing is illegal, and the president is to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, and he said he wouldn't do it. And that means that uh, you know that's directly against the law—a law signed by, passed by a Congress and signed by a president. So, um, so this is not like that, right? There's th- this is a power that is frequently used. My own view is I wish it weren't so frequently used. It's interesting that Trump has uh, been reluctant to do it and hasn't done it at this moment, um, and uh, and he's reluctant to do it because. He tried to get he did get some stuff, and he tried to get some stuff from Congress.
0: So, and, and some will interpret the fact that he did not get the stuff from Congress as pushing this into Zone 3, where he's in conflict with the Congress. But, in fact, it, it's, not, it's clearly not Zone 3, because Congress did not tell him not to build the fence.
1: That's right. It, it, that's a question of language, right? Correct. Laws are written down, and there's a reason for that. And so if they had said in the law... This and no more. Well, then that way, and and if he signed that bill, then they've all agreed. And as Jackson points out, he was a heck of a guy, by the way. Oh,
0: was he ever.
1: And that lovely, I want to mention that lovely language that you read at the beginning. He liked, you know, he liked Harry Harry Truman. Heck, I'm giving a talk about Harry Truman tonight. I like Harry Truman as as national commander, although he was kind of zany. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And and, uh, so he... His point is, it isn't personal,
0: and he also makes the point, it isn't just what you think about the issue. That's right. You've got to divorce it from the president who's doing it and the position of the issue on which you are involved, and think in terms of the authority of the executive and the ability of the government to govern. I'll be back with Dr. Arn because while it can't be Zone 3 and it probably is Zone 1, maybe it's Zone 2. We will figure out. Stay tuned to Hugh Hue at the Hillsdale Dialogue continues with Dr. Larry Arn. Welcome back, America. you here in the ReliefFactor.com studio. That music means, of course, from the last radio hour of the week. That means the Hillsdale Dialogue. There is a terrific new free online course at Hillsdale.edu on the Second World Wars by Victor Davis Hansen and my guest, Dr. Larry Arne, which is just just you just gotta go watch it to get an idea of the scale and scope. Doctor, and I've been to see the documentary "They Shall Not Grow Old" about World War One. Have you yet done that?
1: I have not done that. I mean to do it.
0: I, I sent uh, with great trepidation the fetching Mrs. Hewitt to see it because it is it is gory, but it is so astonishingly good that she came back and said everyone should see it. So I'm I'm giving you the recommendation of someone who does not like to see as grim a a scene as World War One, and I cannot imagine Churchill crawling, out. he did that, right? He would crawl out from the trenches into no man's land.
1: No, he would uh, gallop. He would gallop. <laughs> he was, He was, uh, He. was. I've said it on the show before, but uh, I, I, there are two people I know who were dashing in the trenches, and one was Douglas MacArthur, who wore a white scarf and waved a baton, and uh, Winston Churchill, who poked around in the trenches at night and crawled and giggled and and uh hushed everybody in a very loud voice you know and and he he was often heard and fired upon when,
0: when you when you see this especially some of the footage there are 100 hours of video from the imperial war museum and 600 hours of audio and peter jackson has has uh transformed the film into modern uh film and he has all of the uniforms of world war 1 so they colored it the right way and he has all the machinery and they timed it right down to the second they they had to restore all the film it's just incredible. Back to Justice Jackson. Zone number two of a presidential power is described by Justice Jackson this way. When the president acts in absence of either a congressional grant or denial of authority, he can only rely upon his own independent powers. But there is a zone of twilight in which he and Congress may have concurrent authority or in which its distribution is uncertain. Therefore, congressional inertia indifference or acquiescing may sometimes, at least as a practical matter, enable, if not invite, measures on independent presidential responsibility. In this area, any actual test of power is likely to depend on the imperatives of events and contemporary imponderables rather than on abstract theories of law. Okay, if it's not Zone 1 based on the 76 law, the 2006 law, and the NDAA last year, it's in Zone 2. And here they're not saying don't do it. They know what he's doing. He said he but this is what presidential scholars or legal scholars haven't said. He told them he was going to do it if they didn't fund it, and they didn't tell him not to do it when they passed the law. And they could have easily done that. That was right in front of them.
1: Yeah. And uh but and and that's not a denial. And um so it's 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 actually true that uh uh, yeah, the Congress has acted on this, but not in this way. That's true. Uh, but th- the, the nature of the Act, right? What does the National Emergencies Act do? It says that the President may declare a national emergency when one arises in his judgment, and then act to do something about it. And and that that so if the swine flu is a national emergency. Uh, then, if, if uh, the potential entry of persons from Venezuela or, or Libya is a national emergency, then Trump says uh, that. So remember, Jackson uh, uh, directs us to look at the circumstances, right? Because the executive power is about acting in the circumstances. So I would guess that the, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure that I. I mean my provisional opinion is this is not in Zone two, this is in Zone one, but uh, if it is in Zone two, I'm inclined to think, given <laughs> where Jackson directs us to look, you know there's what are what ten or eleven or twelve million people illegally in the country, and
0: caravans of more are coming. And deadly drugs, fentanyl. And I know we seize a lot of fentanyl at the port of entry. In fact, most of the fentanyl that we get in the country comes via the mail, and a lot of it comes via the port of entry. That does not mean that some of it is not coming in across cro- the border, and one shipment is enough to kill one city. That's right.
1: Yeah, and, there, and you know, I, one reads that, the, that, the both, that, that in the course of taking over uh, illegal entry, uh, in order to uh, make uh, drug carriers out of a lot of these people who come across, then the big drug cartels have kind of taken over that business, right? And there's a business you pay somebody some money and they get you across the border, and that means that that's wrapped. If it's true, it means it's wrapped up with the drug trade. And Lord, have we not spent enormous amounts of money and and trouble to try to get rid of that trade?
0: And if you would just think like El Chapo, who has recently. Uh, convicted, And there are some non dissimilarities between Dr. Arn and El Chapo uh, that if you were in control of both arms of the illegal enterprise, moving people and drugs, you would move them in concert so that the people would divert you from the drugs. Yeah. Uh, it would be a, a strategic choice and a tactical execution that is obvious to everyone who doesn't want to close their eyes. But Beto O'Rourke, Beto O'Rourke was on MSNBC. We're having the MSNBC primary underway right now. We're all they, can. they show up with my my friends over there who are lefties at night. And MSNBC, Chris Hayes, Beto O'Rourke says this, cut number two.
2: You know, would you, if you could, would you take the wall down now, here? Yes. Like you have a wall. Absolutely. Like knock it down. I'd take the wall down. Do you think the city, you think if, this, if there's a referendum here in this city, that would pass? I do. So uh, we
0: are dealing with what Peggy Noonan writes this morning, a Democratic Party which has gone hard left, Larry Arnn, on the border, hard left. And that sends a signal to everyone out there who's thinking about making the journey that they ought to come on over, because part of the United States political establishment doesn't care. And that itself makes the problem much worse.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it, it doesn't fit into the pattern of justice jackson's concurrence to analyze this this way but i'll add the point because you bring up a wide point uh the drug trade and all of that that's very serious stuff and i agree that that gives power to the government to do something about it because the the borders of the common country are a matter of the federal government but look at this uh 10 million people or 12 million people or millions more coming that affects what we mean by the people of the united states and since it's true that the heart of our system is that the governed must consent, then it's a very old thing. It's actually a perfectly original thing that the American people have been concerned about changes in, the, in, the, in who the people are made by the government without their consent. And that, that's in the Declaration of Independence. The king gave a new constitution to Quebec. He just gave it to him by fiat. And then he expanded the borders of Quebec. And that changed what, who are the people of the United States. Well, they weren't the United States then, but of the colonies. And so they, that's one of the titles of uh, the 17 paragraphs of complaints against the king in the Declaration of Independence. And so if, you know, this is the reason I particularly object to Obama's. Not prosecutorial discretion to let all of these illegals, to regularize all these legals in some way. And remember, continue to have a porous border is that now by executive action, the the president is deciding the makeup of the people of the United States. And if you have no defined people, You cannot have consent of the government.
0: And I I have to recall my memory now. Uh, I taught yesterday Arizona versus the United States, which was the 2011, I believe, decision in which the Supreme Court struck down most of the state of Arizona's laws concerning people in the country without permission. Uh, And Justice Kennedy wrote the majority opinion saying that... uh, the immigration power is the power of the future of the country, and it's vested in the federal government, and therefore states may not interfere with it. He's right, by the way, and, and, and some Arizonans were unhappy about that, but he's right for the reason you just specified. And, and and so the power of the president and the Congress together over immigration is complete. It's 100%. Okay. Uh, the question is whether or not. There's nothing for the state. There's nothing for a foreign government. It's 100% our power. And that which we have already adduced, the 76 law, the 2006 law and the NDAA of last year, are the only things extant on it. So we know, and I want to do this for the purpose of completeness, um, uh, zone number three, Justice Jackson says, when the president takes measures incompatible with the expressed or implied will of Congress, his power is is at its lowest ebb for then he can rely only upon his own constitutional powers minus any of the constitutional powers of Congress over the matters. Courts can sustain exclusive presidential control in such a case only by disabling the Congress from acting upon the subject. Uh, Presidential claim to power at once so conclusive and preclusive must be scrutinized with caution, for what is at stake is the equilibrium established by our constitutional system. It is at least clear, I think, Dr. Arendt, that that's not where we are.
1: no. No, and and remember, uh, uh, Congress can make give an authoritative order to the president only if some president has signed it. <laughs> so, so it, you wouldn't just be going against the will of Congress, right? Because who gives a hoot about that? By the way, they pass resolutions all the time. To get to be a law, then the Congress and the president have to cooperate, and they have not done so in any way to negate. Uh, using the national emergency power to uh, build a border wall.
0: And and, and so we, we end up at, at this position where we haven't seen it yet. We'll see what authorities they rely upon. But those who are declaring, and I want to talk about this in the last segment, that this is the end of all time, uh, conservatives are alarmed and they're they're fretting and they're throwing up their arms and they're saying, the Elizabeth Warren will declare climate change a national emergency and, or the gun violence a national emergency and confiscate weapons. They are neglecting that every exercise of presidential power is scrutinized on its merits against previous congressional actions and the limits placed upon both the Congress and the President by our Bill of Rights and our natural rights.
1: Now, that's... And see, I will I, I will say she may well do that. And the discussion about that... Well, first of all, heaven forbid that she does that, but she may do that. She may do that. And And I myself you know, am not partial to this way of governing, and uh, and that's just because the government's supposed to proceed by law. And this is the law, and it is true that, the, that the, in any reasonable system, the president would have power to declare an emergency and act according to it. And that's because it's the nature of the legislative power that it's not, it's not, It should not be. It does too much. It's not supposed to be legislating only about the present. It's supposed to be making rules that will apply in all circumstances going forward. And the Congress can't act in response to events in the way that the executive branch can do. It's the nature of the executive branch to do that. The timelines are much shorter. So there has to be room for the president to... see.
0: Je- Je- Hold the all thought. follow Hold- the
1: sophistication of Justice Jackson, right? Because the thing is, there must be such a power.
0: There must be. We'll come back after the break and we will discuss exactly that there must be such a power somewhere in there. Welcome back, America. to Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu, including this conversation, which can also be accessed at hugh4hillsdale.com. A list of all the events that Dr. R. will be speaking at in Sacramento and Fresno. You can go get free tickets, but you got to go to HillsdaleforFresno.com or HillsdaleforSacramento.com. They fill up. They are completely sold out. So if you want to go for free, enjoy a wonderful reception. Hear Dr. Arnn talk about education and the future of American civilization. Do that now. Dr. Arne, Mark Murray's a friend of mine over at NBC, and he is part of the chorus that is saying, quote, make no mistake, the emergency that Trump faces at the border isn't a real national emergency. It's a perceived political one. And he cites as evidence of this violent crime in El Paso falling since the mid-1990s, apprehensions in El Paso falling over the years uh, 01 to 19. Those are interesting data points. They don't go to the question of the severity of the threat posed by an individual.
1: That's right. And, um, it, you know, that uh, that judgment, right, because uh, let me let – me, let's go back to where we were. There must be a power like this. It's written in the nature of the thing. And indeed, the whole distinction between the executive and the legislative branches implies things like that. Uh, but if the power becomes so broad that the executive branch is just acting of its own without the Congress – then that's really terrible. And I will say there is a danger of that, but that doesn't really come from Donald Trump. That comes from the fact that the most of the legislative power has moved into what we call the executive branch, but it's really these 150 or so uh, agencies, their legislative, executive, and judicial branches all rolled into one. And so... Take that factor away, which was just beginning to grow when Justice Jackson's opinion was was made in nineteen fifty two. it take that away. The way you balance that, because it is a balance thing, uh is is this emergency power too great, is finally the people
0: have to balance that, right? Yep. And they do. Every and, four years. Or and you have years.
1: elections, right? Yeah. And that's how, that's how you fix that, or one of the ways. And see, well, the conflict
0: between the branches is a signal to the people to get involved. One of the ways you don't fix it is to have a handful of FBI people decide to take out the president. This is Andrew McCabe on 60 Minutes, which will be seen in full on Monday night. The clip they have released, cut number 11.
2: I was speaking to the man who had just run the presidency and achieve, and and won the election for the presidency and who might have done so with the aid of the government of russia our most formidable adversary on the world stage and that was something that troubled me greatly
0: how long was it after that that you decided to start the obstruction of justice and counterintelligence investigations involving the president
2: I think the next day I met with the team investigating the Russia cases, and uh, I asked the team to go back and conduct an assessment to determine where are we with these efforts and what steps do we need to take going forward. I was very concerned that I was able to put the Russia case on absolutely solid ground in an indelible fashion, that were I removed quickly or reassigned or fired, that the case could not be... Closed or uh, vanish in the night without a trace. I wanted to make sure that our case was on solid ground, and if somebody came in behind me and closed it and tried to walk away from it, they would not be able to do that without creating a record of why they'd made that decision. You wanted a documentary record. That's right. That those investigations had begun because you feared that they would be made to go away. That's exactly right.
0: Uh, Larry Arn, that is the deputy director of the FBI, not the director, who has never been elected to anything, asserting the power to take control and force an investigation upon a just elected president.
1: That's right. And uh, you know, just remember, it can only be obstructive, obstruction of justice to fire an executive official if that official is not under the control of the president. And those officials are not elected, and the president is. And so it is the clearest thing in the world that any president, Donald Trump included, can fire any uh, FBI director, James Comey included, maybe included especially, just because he doesn't like the way he parts his hair, right? And, And he could say that, and that, why? Because we, rightly or wrongly, put Donald Trump in that place. And if the and, you know, the many of the wrangles between the executive and the legislative branches back in Lincoln's day, for example, and in Andrew Johnson's day was, does the president have the power to dismiss appointed executive officials? Because if he doesn't, then they're working for somebody else. In those days, they would have been working for a radical Congress,
0: but in these days they would be working for themselves. That's exactly right. Dr. Larry Arn, President of Hillsdale College, thank you, my friend. We send you away on your weekend, America. Joyful, joyful. Enjoy it. Enjoy the liberty we all enjoy. Get smart at hillsdale.edu. You can listen to this again at hughforhillsdale.com if you want to get more into detail on Justice Jackson. And we will be back next week with the next uh, installment of the Hillsdale Dialogue. And we may have the actual declaration of emergency in front of us then.